Hey, everybody. You're listening to the Legacy Church Podcast. Legacy Church is a multi-generational church that exists to worship God, become like Jesus, and bring hope to our community. Today, we're sharing a message from our current series. We believe that the Word of God is powerful and has real-life application to our lives today. We hope that this message encourages you. Get connected and learn more about us by visiting our website at lgcy.church. How awesome was that to have our kids worshiping with us this morning? Yeah, good call. It was very appropriate that we had our children here this morning because the title for this message is called When I Was a Child. I'm very excited to share it with you and um, glad you're here. We're in a new season if you haven't felt it. (sighs) Got some laughter in the front. I'm going to start out with a quote. Thanks so much, Lynn, for sticking around. Um, I'm going to start with a quote that I read on Instagram that kind of smacked me between the eyes. And it says, when we, we are born looking like our parents, we die looking like our choices. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to say it one more time. We are born looking like our parents, we die looking like our choices. Yeah. (laughs) Um, If you don't know me, my name's Sherry. Uh, My husband and I, that guy I kissed when he brought up the the table, we get to be part of the leadership team here in Hamilton, and it's our pleasure to do that. We love you all so much. And um, this year's our 20th wedding anniversary, which is wild. It's so exciting. And the message that I'm about to share with you has been um, very close to our hearts because it's what we, God has been bringing us through over the last 20 years. Um, I'm going to start with 1 Corinthians 13, and I'm going to read it in its entirety because we love the word of God here. Right, Ellie? (laughs) Okay, it says, if I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but I do not have love. I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but I do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but I don't have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It's not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres. Love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when completeness comes, 
what is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child, and when I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror, then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, and then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. Okay, with that in mind, I want you to turn your attention to the screens and check out this quick video. All right? If I don't have love, I'm only a clanging gong or a resounding cymbal. I don't know about you, but I have played all three parts in that little character skit right there. I've been the guy just singing the notes, ding, dong, like show must go on. We just got to keep this going. I've been the nervous wreck in the middle. Just let's go, let's keep this going. Ah, what's going to happen to me? And I have also played the part of animal oblivious to my impact on other people and what is going on around me. And he's a great example of someone who is childish. Not childlike, but childish. No idea about what's happening. <laughs> no idea. No clue. Just got his own gig going, his next big idea happening, and it's going to come forward and do what it's going to do no matter the cost to anybody else. And this is what happens in our families, in our workplaces, in our church community, when we all remain childish. There is a very big difference between our intentions and our impact on other people. We can have all the best intentions. This is going to be great. It's going to sound great. It's going to look great. It's going to be awesome. And yet we're killing people around us with careless words, with our actions that look nothing like Jesus. And so we are going to take a look today at maturity in Christ and becoming like Jesus because God never intended for us to stay undeveloped. And he's not just talking about our bodies developing. 
there's more to us than just the skin and bones that we have. We have emotional selves. We have our spiritual selves, which are all tied together. You can't separate them. And loving God is directly related to how we love each other. We can't say we love God and treat each other like garbage. You can't do it. It means that there's part of us that hasn't grown up into the image of Jesus yet. So I'm going to give you some proof that this is really important to God. In Ephesians chapter 4, Paul says, and guys, forgive me because the first part I didn't give you in your clip. Okay? So Paul says, as a prisoner for the Lord, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and in all through us. But to each one of us, a grace has been given. And we're going to skip down in Ephesians 4 to verse 11. It says, so Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head that is Christ. From him, the whole body joined and held up together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Okay, from there he goes on and on. He's like, you got to stop lying to yourself. You got to stop lying to each other. You need to actually grow up. You need to be honest in what you're doing. Stop having sex with each other if you're not married. He goes on and on and on about this life of love and what that's supposed to look like. He goes into great detail for many verses. He talks about not staying angry with each other in the body of Christ. He's not just talking about your family members or the people you work with. He's specifically speaking to the body of Christ. That this maturity, this life of love is intended to impact how we function together. So we all want to know, what is it I'm supposed to do with this life that God's given me? He's got something for me. He made me for a reason. There's a purpose. And yes, that is true. But there is a first calling. It's the general calling that goes out to all the people that follow Jesus, and it is to become like Jesus. First. Because you cannot know the specific will of God if your mind and your heart and your emotions and your body are clouded with lots of other things that crowd out the word of God and the voice of God. So we get the chance to live a life connected with each other and help each other grow up. 
Welcome to the church, everybody. <laughs> and it can be a nasty business sometimes because it gets really raw, it gets real, it gets challenging, um, and it, you want to give up because it would just be easier to not. And it's really easy to think you're mature when you're by yourself all the time. <laughs> you know, it's funny because watching my children all together, you see like the raw form of childishness. And it's not bad because that's the level that they're at. They are children. They are allowed to be childish because they're growing up. But there's a problem when children are stunted in a certain level and emotionally or mentally or how they connect with other people and they keep growing older with their body but they remain the same way in their minds and how they deal with each other. So there's um, a classic novel called The Lord of the, uh, the Lord of the Flies, sorry. And I don't know if any of you have read it, but the idea is that there's a group of children that are part of a boarding school and they go on a flight with their teacher and a pilot. They're going from one country to another and the plane crashes. And the pilot dies and the teacher dies. And it's just a bunch of children crashed on an island. And the thought experiment is what would happen if a bunch of kids were left alone with no adult supervision or anyone to teach them? And in the book, the very worst happens <laughs> because they end up hating each other, killing each other, and killing the weakest and the best among them because they all want their own way. And I think that ultimately darkness and the devil would win if the church remained a bunch of children trying to whirl the world together. Scary business. And you saw it, we see it in the Old Testament because that's exactly what happened. All of the leaders killed God's prophets. They killed the son of God when he came. They killed the best and the most loving and kind and truthful among them when they all wanted their own power, their own way, and whatever was going on for them, and they refused to grow up. So the call remains to God's people through all of history. Will you grow up? Will you grow in wisdom? Will you rule the world with me as Jesus, as the body with Jesus at the head? That's the call. And it's true that we all do have a specific calling individually, but as a church as well, we have specific callings. But there's some deep work to be done in our lives before we can get to that place. And in 1 Corinthians 13, Paul was really clear that you can be doing all the doing things and still be completely missing it if you're not grown up and living in love. And I have personally experienced this. When I first came to this church, I was a good church-going Christian girl. I did all the things. I was running multiple ministries. I was working a job and discipling people, and I was a hot mess. And I was working, I don't know, like 70 or 80 hours a week. And I did not even have time to even think about myself or where I was going, my motivation for any of it. And when I finally got down to the bottom of it, it was all because I wanted God to accept me. And that's religion, my friends. 
And so when I brought this before God and I said, God, what do you think of this period of my life where I was doing all the doings? And he's like, well, why don't you try and put it on the fire? I like put it on there and the whole thing burned. Hey, uh, I was so proud of that time of my life, of all the things I had accomplished, the business I had started, and the ministries I was running, and it didn't please God because my motivation was not love in all of it. It was selfish. So what do we do with that information? Because it's kind of a sobering thought to think that you can be fully functional and yet missing it. So Paul thankfully teaches us in Romans 12, verse 1 to 3, what we need to do. And Symes, you'll be happy because I know it's your verse. He says, so dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and a holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behavior and the customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know what God's will is for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. So this is the linchpin here is that we need to present our whole lives to God and see what he has to say about it. We are, the, the imagery there is of a sacrifice being made of laying down on an altar ready to be burned and sacrifice ready to die. Anything goes, God. Any way I'm thinking, anything I'm doing, it all belongs to you. I'm yours. That's a surrender that happens. So many people think that God is solely responsible for our growth. But we have read in multiple passages here that we have a move to make in this. We get to put childish ways behind us. We get to present ourselves to God. We get to help each other grow up. So God helping us and us presenting ourselves to him, he works with us, but we have a huge part to play in growing up. And I had this thought that what if immaturity is just a refusal to take responsibility for the way I think? That's it. I'm just choosing not to be responsible for this thinking. I'm just going to keep going this way and whatever happens, happens. That is still a choice that we have. We can choose to mature or we can choose to stay the same. So God created us and the world to work in a certain way. And we, all, we always got to go back to the beginning because that's the clearest way to see it back in Genesis. So God is the source of all life. And the way he designed things is the way stuff works. There's no getting around it. There's no subverting it, going under, over, nothing. What he says is how life works and anything else is death. Okay? So people were with God. They ate from the tree of knowing good and evil. They wanted to do it their own way. And from there came a curse on humanity. And there were two parts, well, there's a few parts to it, but the two I want to focus on are 
I'm sorry, Pastor Sharon, but the excruciating pain of childbirth, which I pray that that curse would be lifted in your experience, that you would have a supernatural experience in this birth as you're a child of God, and I believe that for you. I really do. Um, so the excruciating pain to bring forth new life and that the ground would be cursed with producing thorns and thistles. So what happened was this land that was supposed to bring good things actually started producing thorns and thistles that would choke out plants and choke out life and choke out goodness. And they had to fight against that now in their trying to grow things to eat and produce crops. And when we are raised in our homes and in this world, we are surrounded with a world that is still producing thorns and thistles. Jesus talked about them. He called them the deceitfulness of wealth and the worries of life. Now, nobody is exempt from having been raised in thorns and th thistles because we don't come out of the womb saved. That's not how this goes. We come out born into death and we have to choose life. So you grow up with a family that has a certain way of thinking, a certain way of doing things. You grow up in a community and in a country that has a way of believing about God and people and how things should go. And these things, if they do not line up with God's truth, will choke out the truth about God in your life. And so these thorns and thistles do not produce fruit but their seeds spread really fast and they can take over an entire garden if left untended. And that's the same thing that will happen with us when we grow up thinking certain ways and being worried about things and not trusting God and not going God's way. We have these thorns and thistles that choke out the potential of Jesus saving and changing us. And so I want to d dive a little deeper into like the science behind this because God speaks and is speaking on the earth right now and giving revelation to scientists that show that his word has been true all along. And so I want to talk about thoughts and beliefs and mindsets for a minute. So we all have conscious thoughts. So I, I used this example in Kitchener last week. Um, my thought is I'm hungry I'm in a rush, I'm gonna go to McDonald's. That's my thought. I'm aware of this thought. You know, I, no brainer. I'm, it's just an easy fix, I'm gonna go. But underneath of that thought is actually a whole set of beliefs. And I'll tell you how it looked in my family. So my family ate out a great deal. We were a very, very religious family that had more rules than God set out in the Bible, okay? <laughs> So even within the church, I was ostracized from the other people because the rules were just so stringent that I couldn't even hang out with people um, because they were, the rules weren't in the Bible. That's just the bottom line. So, um, but my parents said this phrase to me over and over again, we don't drink and we don't smoke so we can eat out more often. This was their belief. They had this extra income that they could eat out. And, but underneath of that was this idea that like I get to do whatever I want because I'm good in this area. 
I don't do these things, so this is fine. But they forgot the part about gluttony and caring for the temple of God. <laughs> and so I grew up with this mindset of like, I can eat whatever I want, whenever I want, however it feels, it doesn't matter. I'm just going to go and do it. It's easy. And all of this is bubbling underneath of the surface that I'm unaware of driving me to McDonald's. Even though it feels like it's just a little thought, hey, I'm hungry, I'm just going to grab something at Mickey D's. And I did that for a lot of years. I worked at McDonald's. I ate there twice a day in my teens. And thank God I played sports or I would have had a serious problem. But the eating thing became a major problem for me in my teens. I was um, bulimic in my teen, teens because I didn't want to get overweight. I was, micromanaged all of my eating and it was really very intense. And God, he set me free from that action early on in my, when I actually met my husband. I stopped with the micromanaging my eating and throwing up and all of that. But it took a lot longer to get to the root of the belief system that food is my comfort. That was what was at the very core. That was the mindset that I need to run to food and a quick fix whenever I'm feeling bad. And up until like a month ago, it, it was still being unraveled in me. And so we have these thoughts that we're conscious of. We have these beliefs and they're basic ideas that we accept that are true to us. They're true to us, and those things are based on our environment, our experience, things that we've been taught, and things that we've, been, that we've imagined. And then we have mindsets, which are groupings of beliefs. And they're the way that we digest the world around us. They're basically like a filter system that we have that's subconscious. So it's, we are unaware that these programs in our mind are running the way that we live, okay? And in normal, everyday life, we believe many things that are contrary to God's word, and we live based on lies. That's just the bottom line. We live based on lies. And this is why it's so important that we allow ourselves to come in front of God and his word and in his presence and present our thinking. And it's interesting because if you look back at that video with Animal, these mindsets actually show up like a big noisy thing that's happening. So it's like, it will show up in a relationship with someone who's close to you. Maybe it's somebody you work with every day or your spouse or you, the way you treat your children or your parents. And it will be this loud thing and it's taking all the attention and what it's actually doing is begging to grow up. It's making a fuss. I'm ready. I want to grow up. I'm done being a child here. And if you look at it like that, it's a lot easier to present yourself to God as I'm ready to change. I'm done with this thing. But we all have experienced major distress in our life at one point or another, whether it was in childhood or in our teens or in our adult years. And the technical definition of trauma, and I know that trauma is thrown around really loosely these days, but trauma is 
defined as a lasting emotional response or damage that often results from living through distressing events. And there are different levels of trauma that happen. So abuse, neglect, um, shocking or tragic events that happen that alter the way that you think and feel about the world. And scientists have proved that what happens in your mind when you go through trauma is that your brain hardens in little pockets, little black spots show up on your brain where the memories, the physiological responses, and the emotional experience is stored in that black spot. And when somebody comes near you that reminds you even remotely of that spot, it's like they press the button and all of that is released to you again and you become five or eight or 16 or 21 all over again and you go back and live in the moment where that happens. And I'm here to announce to you today that you do not have to be triggered for the rest of your life by your trauma that you've gone through. Jesus is bigger than trauma. He will come into that place with you and you can face it with him, not alone, and you can be healed of this, whatever it is. It's irrelevant what it is, not that it doesn't matter, but what I'm saying is that Jesus is enough. He is enough to heal you. And we get tricked though, because what our bodies are wired to do is to survive, to cope. So we put up these walls and we put up barriers because pain, we don't want to go through pain. I don't want that button pushed by anybody and everybody all the time and become an emotional puddle on the ground or start acting like a two-year-old. And so we create these strongholds around us, which is a stronghold is a safe place. It's a place we hide in when we feel threatened. And it can look like being fearful. It can look like doubt. It can look like suspicion. It can look like living an entirely solitary life independent of other people. There's lots of different strongholds that we all have, but the Bible teaches us that Jesus is the strong man who can come into the strong tower and tear it down and set us free. And then we run to him, to his stronghold. The Lord is our shield. He is our strength. He is our salvation. Who should we be afraid of? He is the stronghold of our life. And so... Paul taps on this too in the New Testament. He says, we have divine power to demolish strongholds. Now, we have personal strongholds, safe places that we hide in, but there are also strongholds in our city. There are strongholds in our country, but there is no way in the world that we are coming and taking down a stronghold when we are possessed by the same thing when I say possessed, I mean owned by the same thing that the city's owned by or by the country's owned by. We have no authority to do that unless we take up the authority that Jesus has given us and we demolish the places we're hiding in, the places where we are acting like children and we become fully mature sons and daughters of God that we can rule alongside him with. He's not looking for a Lord of the Flies experience here. He is looking for us to be men and women who will rule the world with him. That's what he wants. 
and he is patient and he is long suffering with us. There's this amazing Bible project video that talks about how Jesus is long suffering and the technical term for long suffering means long in the nose. So it's so funny because like you picture like this really big nose that it takes a long time for the fire and the steam to like bubble up and come out. That's the image that is long suffering. It takes him a really long time to be fed up with us. Thank God. Because I've taken a long time in a lot of areas of my life. And I'm here today to tell you that we are no longer required to be slaves to our mental programming of how we were raised, of what the country of Canada is speaking. We are no longer required to be slaves to anything other than the word of God. That is the only thing that we need to be enslaved to because that is the only place where there is life. I would rather be a slave all the days of my life in the kingdom of God than think I'm free and really be a slave and being yanked around by things I'm not even aware of. So how do we actually change the way that we think? First of all, we've got to slow down and take stock. That period of my life where I was working the 70, 80 hours a week and so very proud of myself, God, um, in the middle of it, it was a clean, I ran a cleaning business and uh, I was very busy, but I had a lot of time to think. And I started to notice that there was something seriously wrong with me. I was like a toxic wasteland in my emotional life. And I started to listen to books based on the word of God. And I started to listen to the word of God and have time just to sit and think or to, to clean and think. And it led me to a place where God actually asked me to drop some things I was very proud of and live a very different life. I felt strongly that I needed to give up my cleaning business, which was very hard to do. I was very proud of employing people and discipling them, having no real idea of the impact I was having on them because I could only see my own goal and my own dream of being something. And the impact I was having on my children by working 70 to 80 hours a week and my husband and I barely seeing each other at the time. And when he asked me to lay that down, somehow I did it by the grace of God. And I remember sitting in my living room the first day of not having this business and being like, what am I doing? I swore I would never be a stay-at-home mom. Like, I swore it. Like, my mom was a stay-at-home mom and she had undiagnosed uh, postpartum depression for a very long time. And it was debilitating. And our house was just a dark place, silent and dark. And in somewhere in my young mind, I determined I would never do that. I'm going to have a full life. I'm going to do all the things. I'm going to give my kids a better experience. And yet I was like not even involved with them at the time. And this is my journey. This is my journey. And this is the, the road that God has taken me on. But it was a harsh reality where I came full stop 
face to face with the vows that I made as a child that were ungodly, judgmental, no clue of what my mom had been going through. And I had made life decisions based on her pain. And I remember going into that experience with God and looking at my childhood and seeing what it was like for my mom from God's perspective and being able to forgive her because she did the best that she could with what she had. And she, God has transformed her life full, full turn. Like I, you would barely know her now if you knew her then. She's lost like 150 pounds. She is like working with people, has a life of purpose, loving people. She's like shed that, that skin that she didn't need to have. And, and I'm so grateful that I was able to go with God into my thinking and change my course with him and start to hear his voice and not the voice of my pain that was telling me how to live my life. And if any of you think that I might be making this up, I just want to turn your attention to David in the Psalms because he experienced this kind of deep work with God. He said things, and this is my personal paraphrase, but it's all there, I promise you. He said stuff like, investigate my life, God. See if there's any wrong way in me. He said, my heart tricks me, God. I'm sure I'm believing lies that I don't even realize. And you're the only one who truly knows me and what, I, what motivates me. Surely you want truth deep down in the core of who I am. So David, this bold warrior, was also a poet and a man who contemplated his life before God. He opened his, himself up to God into the very depths of who he was. And it's amazing to read his journey of what that looked like and the turnarounds that he ex experienced. So the slowdown and the taking stock of what you're thinking and what's actually happening in your life is the first step. Because if you're busy, 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 there is no space to hear God. None. And coming to this church setting is a great first step because this is a slow down moment in your week where you focus on God. It's a great start. So keep doing that. Keep coming. Number two, get honest and stop lying to yourself and other people. Easy peasy, right? Um, growth requires humility. It requires us to come like a child to our father and say, God, I cannot fix this myself. Because the truth is, is that we don't self-help our way. We do need to admit where we're at and we do need to take stop, stock, but it is by looking at Jesus that we are transformed. Not by trying to like, you know, conjure it up in ourselves to be good enough. This is the gospel. I am helpless and you are everything, Jesus. I am weak and you are strong and I get to take your strength and I get to walk in that. It sounds so stupid that it's that simple. I get to trade my childish thinking for the way that God thinks. I get to pry my fingers off of this thing and hand it to God and I get something else in return. And if 
we continue to lie to ourselves and lie to other people, it will never change. That's the bottom line. It does not go away on its own. So, the third step is to get in the word and get with the word. So, you can read the Bible your whole life, which is very, very valuable because you store up the things of God inside of you. But if you never let the word of God read you, then you will never change. There's a difference between an intellectual um, consumption of the word of God and just taking it at rote value. But if you never actually open yourself up to the word of God, which is Jesus, he is the whole world, whole word encapsulated in one person. You sit with him in the quiet and you've read the word of God you can be sure that God's Holy Spirit will light it up for you and he will show you where he is working in your life and what you get to give him and what you get in return. But you must have the word of God, the scriptures in you in order to know that it is God. A lot of people say, God told me this and God told me that, but it doesn't line up with the word of God. You must have the word of God. And I know that this is super practical, but we're doing like, I'm doing some homeschooling with my kids and we're doing a little Bible course. And it's talking about like pretty basic things. You must read your Bible every day for at least five minutes. Awesome. Don't lay down in your bed where you'll fall asleep while you're reading the word of God. Like something as simple as that. Like sit Pay attention to what the word of God is saying to you. Pray. Ask God what he's saying to you. This is really basic, but it's really, really necessary. And I can't assume that my children are going to just pick up the principles of God by osmosis. They need to read the word of God with me. And there's no junior Bible. The word of God in its pure form is good for children, when they can read, obviously, they can read it and you can talk about it and they can pray and the Holy Spirit can show them things. We need truth to see what the lies are. You can't just look at yourself and figure it out yourself. You need something outside of yourself, which is God's truth, God's word that you can be measured against. And then the fourth part is to walk it out. And I'm going to reread Romans 12, 1 and 2. And I know it's a bit hot in here, guys. So thanks for bearing with it. Um, and I'm going to read it in the message version. It says, so here's what I want you to do. God helping you take your everyday, ordinary life. You're sleeping, eating, going to work and walking around life and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings the best out of you and develops well-formed maturity in you.
This week, God had me reading through the book of Hebrews, which is kind of like a dense book. Like it's really thick to get through. And like there's a lot of Old Testament Testament references. And I found myself reading it with a filter this week of like what I thought God was saying. And this morning I read from a commentator that blew my mind because I had read it with the filter of God's going to be done with you if you don't grow up quick enough. That was my filter. And this commentator was saying that people hone in on Hebrews chapter 6 and where it talks about leaving the basic teachings. And what he's actually referring to was he's talking to a bunch of Jewish people who had converted to Christianity And they kept going back to their Jewish ways and filtering Christ through their Judaism. And he said, if you keep doing that, you have no savior. (laughs) Like you're never gonna grow up in Christ if you keep going back to your old religion and depending on it to make you good. And Paul in Ephesians talks to the Gentiles, the people that didn't grow up as Jews. And he says, the way that you guys think is useless. It's dark. It's producing death in you as well. And you need to leave it as well. And if you don't, it's useless. You're not going anywhere. So the point is not that we have to grow up super quick. The point is that Jesus is the answer. The gospel of Jesus, that I am helpless to change myself. No amount of religion is going to fix me. And also, if I go and throw myself back into doing whatever I feel like doing because I'm free in Jesus, it's not going to fix it either. And what we really need to do is to take our childish thoughts, the ways that are driving us to do things that are hurting ourselves and other people and destroying the body of Christ around us, which happens very quickly. Bitterness, anger, resentment, all of those things, like we're actually in a battle, you guys, to stay united with Jesus and with each other. There's a battle for that. It matters to God that we're united together. And we get to bring these things and we get to apply the gospel to them. God, I don't have this. I've got no power in myself to fix this. I've thought like a five-year-old for the last 35 years. And I'm so sorry, God. Can you show me where I went wrong? What did I believe when I was five that's been driving me all this time? And he's going to show you. And you can put it down. It's literally that. I get to put away my childish thinking. And I get to step into growing up in Jesus and loving other people. And so I would love to give our church here today an opportunity to just walk through that. And you can do it today, and you can do it at home, and you can do it on your way to work, and you can do it walking down the street, because we are to take our everyday ordinary lives and place them in front of God and grow up. Because he's got things for us to do together and things for us to do individually. The reason that he wants us to mature is because there's stuff to do. And we don't have to keep bashing each other over the head for the next 50 years. I don't want to be part of that. I want to grow up. 
I want to grow up, and I'm sure you do too. It gets old really fast. Like the animal act is funny in a video, but it is not funny when it's me treating my spouse like that over and over and over again. And me triggering when somebody says an offhand comment to me and I go into a tailspin like I'm nine years old. That's embarrassing. I don't want to live my life like that. And that is not what God has for us. So I had an opportunity once to do a little, a prayer experience before God. And I wanted to give you guys the chance to go through this with me. So if you would be willing, you can close your eyes or however you find your way to not be distracted. And I want you to imagine sitting in front of God because Hebrews 6, that we get to come boldly before the throne of grace. So you imagine the throne of grace. What does that look like? What does God look like? Where are you? What's happening around you as you come before the throne of grace? Are you bold? Are you crawling? Are you fearful? What do you have in your hands? What is it that you're bringing before the King of Kings today to ask for help with? That you're powerless to change. Where's Jesus as you stand before the throne of grace? I just want you to notice what's happening around you. Because this place is a place that you belong as a child of God. And when you bring that thing that belongs to you currently, this thing that you're helpless in and powerless in, and you present it to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, what does he say to you? Where did the powerlessness come from? Ask him to take you back, show you where it came from. How old were you? And as you hand it to him, what does he have for you instead? What do you need to let go of in order to take what he has for you? Maybe it's a person that hurt you. Maybe it's an experience that you had. And you can sit there as a child of God and say with your own mouth, God, I choose to release this to you. I forgive my mom. I forgive my dad. I forgive the person that abused me. 
I forgive the violence. I let it go. And I want you to take that thing and lay it down. And God, we don't want to just stop there, but we want to ask you to transform our thinking. And as we look to you, Jesus, we ask you, what are the lies that are driving us from this? We want truth in the core of who we are. So we invite your truth. God, we nail the lies that we have believed to the cross of Jesus and we leave them there. And we step into the truth that you have for us. And God, I pray right now that you would give your people a vision of what is different now. What's possible now that was not possible before. Father, I thank you for this holy moment, this slowed down pause in our week, God, and I pray, Lord, that it would be sealed with the blood of Jesus. That as these thorns and thistles have been ripped out, we break up the hard ground. And I pray that your fire would burn across it and burn up all the seeds, God, any bit that's left of it, Lord, and that you would place new seeds, God, in this ground, and that you would rain it with your word, with your love, with your spirit, and with your people, God. And that there would be a new harvest, God, that would glorify you in this area of our lives, God. And I speak to every spirit in this room that you would take the truth of God and that you would continue to walk it out in your everyday, ordinary life. I thank you, God, that we can choose to be part of your bride that grows up, that will be without spot, without wrinkle, without blemish, God, that we can be together growing up and helping each other and glorifying you. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. To hear more, subscribe to this podcast and connect with us on our website at lgcy.church.